0: Well, turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 39. Psalm chapter 39. We're uh, uh, on another break from Colossians. Uh, Please keep Tim in prayer. He's uh, teaching and preaching at another Sovereign Grace Church, one of our sister churches, doing a seminar on communication, and we will be returning this week. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 39. Uh, I'll be speaking today on the topic of death. It's not an easy or pleasant topic, not a feel-good topic, but a necessary one. The good news is only good news because there's bad news. The more we understand how bad the bad news is, the more we understand how good the good news is. When you hear the bad news of a terminal disease, the news that someone just discovered a cure for you, well, that's good news. In the same way, Jesus isn't good news if there's no bad news. I recently read a book titled Remember Death by Pastor Matthew McAuliffe, and when I read this book, as I was just wrestling with the, with the truth that this pastor was unfolding, it just hit me like a ton of bricks, jolting me awake like a five-alarm fire in the middle of the night, and I hope and pray that the Lord uses his word and the truth explained and expounded in this book, which I'll be summarizing today. Uh, to awaken us in a fresh way on the reality of death and, more importantly, on the reality of our hope in Jesus Christ. We remember death that we might remember life. We remember death that we might remember life. Psalm 39, verses 4 through 8. Psalm chapter 39. "'O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days?' Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath, Selah. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. And Father, I pray that you would be with us, strengthen us, open our ears and eyes and our hearts, bless the preaching and hearing of your word, make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Well, church, when was the last time you thought about death? Maybe it was watching the news and hearing about another tragic, violent crime. Maybe a loved one recently passed away, perhaps from COVID. Maybe it was a murder mystery that was on a TV show or a movie you were watching. But here's a completely different question. When was the last time you thought about your own death? When was the last time you thought about your own death, my own death? And these are two completely different questions. We're aware of death. We read about it. We watch about it. But for most of us, it's disconnected from reality, like a fantasy movie with unicorns or aliens invading from outer space. When we hear of a violent crime, we don't immediately think that our life could come to a sudden end even today. When a loved one passes away, we don't think that, our life is next. When we watch a murder mystery, we don't think that sudden death is a real possibility even today. For most of us, death is something theoretical, something out there, something that happens to other people. So David prays something in this psalm that seems so out of step and countercultural today. So look again with me to Psalm 39 verse 4. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. David prays that God would show him how short his life is. Have you ever prayed, God, show me how short my life is. Show me how quickly death is coming. We don't pray like that. I don't pray like that. It's so strange, that prayer of David, because death denial is the air we breathe, death denial. Now, what do I mean by death denial? Well, death is one of those taboo topics that we don't talk about, we don't think about. It's not something you discuss in polite company, not something you just discuss with friends. McCulloch writes, when people die, it is more likely than not in a medical facility cordoned off from where we live, a sanitized, carefully managed, even industrial process that occurs when professionals decide to stop giving care. Death is still inevitable, but it has become bizarre. Death has become bizarre for us today. It's become strange, it's become disconnected from reality. One of the main reasons for death denial is that we enjoy medical treatments, medical technology today that previous generations could only dream about. Life expectancy today is about 80 years. There once was a time when life expectancy was only about 30 years or so. People live longer, have access to life-saving treatments, medications, surgeries, vaccines. COVID-19 has claimed the lives of millions of people, and the pandemic has touched each of us here in some way. But there was a time not too long ago that infectious disease was far more deadly. We know COVID's deadly, but there was a time that disease was far more deadly. During one smallpox epidemic in Boston in 1677, as many in, as one in five died, one in five, 20%. If we had a 20% COVID death rate in Delaware County, we'd have over a hundred thousand deaths instead of 1500. Now 1500 is terrible, but what would it be like if we had a hundred thousand people die from COVID? That's the kind of thing that happened not too long ago. So even during a global pandemic where we know people who've been infected or maybe even died, death for most of us is something a bit out there. And another reason for death denial is the societal pressure to appear happy. You look at people's Facebook feeds, Instagram accounts. They're filled with highly edited and curated snapshots of people's lives. People show their best side, their best self, their best experience, And so death is pushed out of the picture. But no matter how much we try to push it to the side, life is inescapably short. Let's look at verse 5. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath, Selah. The Hebrew unit of measurement of the handbreadth is a few inches. The large bronze sea in front of Solomon's temple is one handbreadth wide, or four fingers. Four fingers. The length of our days is a few handbreadths, a few of these sets of four fingers. A few handbreadths is the length of a ruler. A ruler is twelve inches long, and when you look at a ruler, you don't think that's long. You pick up a ruler, you don't think that's long. Many people walk 10,000 steps a day, try to keep moving, stay active. A ruler is less than one step, less than one step. That ruler, those few hand breaths, that's the length of life for each one of us, that ruler. The theologian Blaise Pascal wrote about and thought frequently about death. His outlook on life wasn't morbid, it was Realistic and biblical. He knew that his own life was a few handbreadths. And he wrote this Picture a number of men all in chains, all on death row. Each day, some of them are executed, and you can see it happening. For us today, imagine waiting in line for a firing squad. You hear the signal Ready, aim, fire. Shots are fired the body falls to the ground. Then you hear it happen all over again. Only this time, you're one step closer, one person closer to your turn. McCullough writes, each death implies your own. This is how Pascal views all of life. He is the condemned man on death row. Every time he sees, every death he sees forecasts his own. It's a sign of what will happen to him, a reminder that his turn is coming and all he can do is wait. Do you see Pascal's point? All of us are waiting in line, waiting in line, but not in a good way. Every time this line moves, it moves you closer to your own death. Every time this line moves, it reminds you that you're one step closer to your turn before the firing squad and all you can do is wait. And yet, our culture is built around death denial. McAuliffe makes these observations about funerals. The corpse is not a corpse or a body. It's Mr. or Mrs. Fill-in-the-Blank or a loved one. It's not a mortician or undertaker, but a funeral director. Not a graveyard, but a memorial park. We tend to assume that our life is a mile long and keeps going and not a few hand breaths, not a ruler. In that death denial, we as a society, as a culture, we try hard to beat death, to overcome death. Think about end-of-life medical care. So much medical care and costs are spent on the last few moments in life, trying to delay the inevitable. In those moments, the ER room is transformed into this temple to the gods of modern medicine. McCullough writes, our every impulse is to fight. Fight to die with chemo in our veins or a tube in our throats or fresh sutures in our flesh. We imagine that we can wait until the doctors tell us that there is nothing more they can do. But rarely there is nothing more. They can give toxic drugs of unknown efficacy, operate to try to remove part of the tumor, put in a feeding tube. There's always something. There's always something. But here's the pr- Problem, friends. Here's the problem, brothers and sisters. Death always wins. Death is still inevitable. Death is still inescapable. Death is still unavoidable. No one gets out alive. McAuliffe again Death is no less universal now than it's ever been. Death is not a disease to be eliminated, it is the inevitable end of every life. People don't die because medicine has failed them, they die because they're human. And modern medicine is a wonderful gift. All of us benefit from living longer and living better. None of us would choose to go back to living in a time when life expectancy was only about 30 years. But modern medicine can tempt us to live in a state of death denial. McAuliffe says, our success in treating a wide variety of once fatal problems has blinded us to the fact that you have to die of something. Every time we cure one disease, another will eventually rise to take its place. People die of cancer now because they aren't dying much earlier of the flu or smallpox or infection, which means that science can only delay but never destroy death. It's like jumping across the Grand Canyon. No matter how far you can jump, no matter how athletic or how strong you are, you're not going to make it across. An Olympic long jumper still falls to his death even if he can beat every single world record. And modern medicine might get you farther than anyone else in human history, but you and I still land right into the jaws of death. And that makes death inevitable. And death denial is just the denial of the inevitable. Let's move on to verse 6 as David wrestles with the reality and inevitability of death. Verse 6, surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Death teaches us many things, but there are two that I want to point out. Number one, death humbles us. Death humbles us. You look at this text again. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. And no matter how strong, how solid, how substantial you are, the Bible reminds us that we're only as solid as a shadow. As a shadow, like a chalk outline at a crime scene. And that humbles us. Humbles us to know that we're as significant as a shadow, that we're as lasting as a shadow which means that none of us are too important to die. A shadow isn't all that important, isn't all that substantial. McAuliffe points out, we will die like all those who have gone before us, and the world will keep on moving just as it always has. But our natural tendency, my natural tendency is to think that the world revolves around us, like the superhero at the center of the story who saves the day, who can't die because then the story would end, we subconsciously think of ourselves at the center of the story. But death blows all that up, turns all of our assumptions upside down. Death humbles us to the reality that good things never last. That great vacation reaches its last day. That good meal reaches its last bite. That good book, its last page, that great show, its last episode... And your life, my life, it's last day. Philosopher William James reminds us that death is the worm at the core of everything we look to for happiness. All natural goods perish. Riches take wings. Fame is a breath. Love is a cheat. Youth and health and pleasure vanish. When we're young, we tend to view life as a savings account. We're building up equity and assets. The, re- the numbers grow. We're expanding our minds, our skills, our network of relationships. But then McAuliffe writes this. But the truth is, life works like a savings account in reverse. Zoomed out to an entire life cycle, you see that no one is actually stockpiling anything. You're spending down, not saving up. Everything you have, your healthy body, your marketable skills, your sharp mind, your treasured possessions, your loving relationships will one day be everything you've lost. Death turns our assumptions upside down. You're not saving up, you're spending down. You're not adding, you're subtracting. Every day you live is another day spent. That means you and I, we spend and spend and spend and spend, even now you're spending life. Health, skills, your possessions, your relationships. No one saves anything. In gambling, the house always wins, right? The house always wins, which means that the odds are never in your favor. You might win in the short run, but over the long run, the house always turns a profit and all the gamblers lose. That's how the casinos stay in business. In the same way, death always wins, no matter how much you gain in the short run, death takes it all back in the long run. The fact that death wins and you lose is humbling. But, that, but, death, but, that, but not only does death humble us, death disorients us. Number two, death disorients us. When you're blindfolded and you're spun around, when the world finally stops spinning, you have no idea what direction you're facing. Was that left or right? you're disoriented. Death disorients because direction and meaning and purpose all come to an end. If we return to dust, if dust is our destiny, then what's the point? McCullough writes, death levels the winners and the losers, the rich and the poor, the popular and the outcasts, everyone. If my life turns to dust in the end, am I more significant than the stray dog picked apart by buzzards, the goldfish flushed down the toilet, the cockroach crushed underfoot? If you and I ultimately return to the dust from which we came, just like the stray dog, just like the flushed goldfish, just like the crushed cockroach, then what's the point? What's the point when death wipes away all your accomplishments, your memory and, yes, your very existence. And all that is a grim, dark, depressing reality. Death humbles us. Death disorients us. As we carefully consider the end of life, the reality of death, the inevitability of death, those are the conclusions we have to reach. Those are the conclusions we must reach. But thank God, that's not the end. Thank God that there is real hope and meaning. We remember death that we might remember life. We remember death that we might remember life. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. David says, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. My hope is in you, is what David writes. My hope is in the Lord. Jesus Christ came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Through death, Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and came to deliver us from the fear of death. Jesus Christ says, fear not, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades, Revelation 1, 17 and 18. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life that whoever believes in him, though he dies, yet shall he live. So death humbles us. Let's not deny that. Let's not whitewash that. Let's not downplay the reality of death, but God exalts us. God exalts us. Death might humble us to the ground, to the dust, but God exalts and lifts us up. Look again at verse 8. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. And it's a prayer ultimately answered in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who delivers us from all our transgressions and the scorn of death. Romans 5.17 for if because of one man's trespass, Adam, that one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We were once under sin and condemnation and death in Adam, but in Christ, We have righteousness, justification, and life. So yes, death humbles us, but God exalts us. The sin that brought death is now wiped clean through the blood of Jesus. Justification means that God no longer counts his sins against you, that on the basis of Jesus Christ, your criminal record is now expunged. And maybe you never thought about your sin and that great and final day of judgment. You've never given serious thought about how death will immediately usher you into the presence of God and your maker. Are you prepared for that day? Are you ready to stand before your God and judge? God tells us now what to expect so we're not left wondering. We're not left in the dark. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 tells us, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing. Nothing is hidden from his sight. And if hearing that reminds you, I don't think I'm ready. I'm not ready for eternity. I'm not ready to stand before my God and judge and maker. Well, I have some good news for you. The best news, the most incredible news you'll ever hear. The good news that Jesus Christ came to prepare you to make you ready, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago, he died as a perfect sacrifice for all the sins of God's people. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe that his sacrifice alone is enough to cleanse you from all of your sins. Believe that the wrath and judgment of God for your sins was satisfied in Jesus Christ. Believe Jesus Christ as your only hope in life and in death and live like he is. And if you have yet to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, talk to a pastor, talk to one of us, talk to a friend who brought you. We'd love to explain more the way of salvation, how you can find true hope and meaning and deliverance from the fear of death through Jesus Christ. And as God's people, we enjoy the gift of justification. Our sins wiped away through faith in Jesus Christ. But it's not just justification where we see God exalt us. We enjoy the gift of adoption were chosen and beloved, brought into God's own family. As Romans eight, fifteen, and 16 teach us, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And God will never forget his children. Our names are written on the palms of His hands. He knows us by name and has predestined us for eternal glory. As McAuliffe writes, through death, we might as well be nameless. We're essentially waiting to be forgotten in time. But in Christ, we are known. We are known eternally by the Father with the same intimacy and affection He has for His Son. And just as Jesus rose from the grave, conquering death, in him, in Jesus Christ, we will also rise one day. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised, and we shall be changed at the final glorification. First Corinthians 15 teaches us that this perishable body, perishable body, must put on the imperishable, that this mortal body must put on immortality, and death is swallowed up in victory. One day, our bodies, which have turned to dust, if Jesus doesn't come back and our bodies are turned into dust, we will receive an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. So yes, death humbles us, but God exalts us in Jesus Christ, exalts us in justification, exalts us in adoption, and yes, exalts us in the final glorification when our bodies will rise again to resurrected glory. But that's not all. Yes, death disorients us as well, but God establishes us. Death disorients us, but God establishes us. In Christ, God establishes the work of our hands. Galatians 6.9 encourages us not to grow weary in doing good for in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. We will reap lasting fruit, eternal fruit, if we don't give up. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Nothing done for the Lord will be wasted but will be rewarded on that day. So in Christ, your work, your life, everything you do, everything you are has purpose and meaning that outlasts, that outlives death. And in Christ, one day we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in to the joy of your master. And what a comfort it is to know that God will remember even the smallest acts of faith. Jesus reminds us that whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Matthew ten forty two. So whatever the sands of time might erase, God will remember. On that day, even the Lord will remember the things we might have forgotten. That cup of cold water. Who remembers a cup of cold water given out three years ago? I don't. But the Lord remembers. Nothing is pointless or meaningless if done in Christ, done in the Lord. So Paul encourages us that whatever you do, work heartily. as for the Lord and not for men. Know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. So church, as you spend and are spent for the Lord, as you get up and have to change that diaper once again, as you have to go clock in yet once again to work in a hostile environment yet once again, Jesus knows and remembers and will richly reward all his servants one day. And that all that death destroys and takes, Christ will restore and renew. And so the more that we know the reality of death, the more we know the reality of life, true life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. A life, to use the words of one theologian, a life beyond the reach of death. And church, that's what we enjoy in Christ, a life beyond the reach of death. So we remember death, not in a morbid, creepy way, but in a realistic biblical way that we might remember life. We might remember and know all that Christ has done for us to secure eternal life. So next time someone dies, use it to carefully and soberly consider your own death, that one day it will be your turn. Picture yourself as that dead person, again, not in a morbid, creepy way, but uh, but in a humbling, sobering, careful, realistic way, considering this person who has just lost everything. And may that lead you to remember your hope and life in Christ. May that bring a fresh reminder of all that you have in Jesus Christ, all the life that He has for you, for His people. And let that whenever you observe and experience and see death, let that prepare you for your time, your turn, when it's your time to die. Remember that each death brings you a little closer to your own death, which for the Christian means that you're brought one step closer to your future glory, to a little closer to glory in Christ in heaven. So next time, grief or pain or loss, next time those things strike, may it do its God-intended purpose to loosen your grip from this world and the things of this world and to fill you with a heavenly vision of life beyond the reach of death. McAuliffe writes, I use my grief as a telescope, and you know what a telescope does, it's Something which takes something that's far away and brings it near. Looking through the telescope to grab hold of his image, Jesus comes forward through that telescope and into focus, blown up to sigh so that he dominates the entire frame. Grief is not a dead end, but the necessary pathway to Jesus. Grief is not a dead end, but a pathway a telescope to see Jesus. But it's not, the, not just the case with the hard things in life, but with the good things as well. McCullough explains that we can fully enjoy the good things in this life, knowing that we'll lose them because we don't have to have them. We can enjoy the good things of, in this life, knowing we'll lose them because we don't have to have them. Think of all the good things we enjoy in this life. We enjoy life and health, skills, possessions, relationships. We can enjoy them as appetizers that leave you wanting more. If you know that the main course is coming, you can enjoy the appetizer for what it is, something temporary, something good, but something that points beyond itself to something more. Let me end with these words from Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail and will fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the sober reality of death, the dark reality, the depressing reality of death, Lord, that would be a magnificent telescope that magnifies the glorious life that we have in Christ, that it would drive us to run more quickly and more fervently to Jesus Christ, to hold on more tightly to the one who died and rose that we might enjoy life everlasting. In His name we pray. Amen. 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 As we close out our time this morning, we remember death humbles us. Death disorients us. Let's not be stoics. Let's not pretend it doesn't hurt. Let's not pretend that the pain isn't there. It's real. These things are real. Sorrow is real. Pain is real. But we remember death that we might remember life. We remember death that we might remember life. We remember death that God exalts us out of death. We remember that God establishes us eternally beyond the reach of death. So church, let me send you out with these words from 1 Corinthians 15:52 through 58 and think deeply about this truth for it will change the way you live. 1 Corinthians 15